Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice here in the America Out Loud Radio Network. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. Well, let's see, what have we been up to? We have elections coming up that are very important. I know we, we talk about that all the time, how important this election is. And this one particularly is. There's, there's a lot of polls out there, but we know we really can't trust polls. We know that people create polls so that they can back up a, a position that they might have. But I've always seen that as it gets closer and closer to the actual election, the pollsters then want to show, show everyone that they were correct. Uh, and the polls get more realistic. Now, I guess I guess there's a bunch of people in our country that will see a poll and say, well, I want to go with the winner. So whoever is leading in the poll, uh, Johnson is leading. Well, I'm going to vote for Johnson because I want to be a winner uh, instead of what's in my best interest. So we'll talk a little bit about the elections and the history of what's gone on uh, with elections recently. But I want to talk for a minute about some law enforcement stuff. Now, recently I was at the IACP, the International Association of Chiefs of Police. They had a convention in Dallas, Texas. And being from New Jersey, you know, we, we got to Dallas and the, the where we stayed in the arts area. I guess that's what's called the arts district. Absolutely beautiful. Very, very nice. Uh, first couple days, temperature was really hot. Went to the 90s each day. Which, you know, here in the Northeast, it's already, you know, we're in the 50s and 40s as we move uh, closer into the into the fall season. But down in Dallas, it was uh, 75 and 80, and, and it, it was really brutally hot, but it wasn't bad. And I have to say, I was impressed with, uh, with Dallas itself in general. Um, there's lots of different sections of Dallas that you can go to. There's things to go visit and see. And in the arts section where we were, we were in a beautiful hotel that was within walking distance to all kinds of restaurants and, and bars. And, and, and we, you know, we wanted to go and see some, some Texas uh, type things. So Miss Kathy was with me. And we wanted to go and see some uh, authentic barbecue which we got to do. We got to see some uh, great steakhouses, which we got to do. We went to Fort Worth, which is, uh, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's, Fort Worth is about 40 minutes by car uh, from downtown Dallas. And it's, uh, it's, it, it touts itself as uh, where the West begins, which I guess back in the day that was probably true. I mean, if you could get to Texas and the area was populated, organized, there was some form of government around you had uh, whatever civilization there was at the time was there you know eating restaurants that kind of thing even way back in the day but once you moved out past that you were heading out into native american territory and there's a great tv show out there um, called 1883 it's a short mini series and it kind of portrays uh, that settler era when people would uh, go west you know, to, to go find new land, new life. Uh, and it's, but it's a really enjoyable miniseries. I think it's only about, maybe it's 10 episodes. And it follows people um, as they made their way west and how they, how they dealt with that raw, uh, raw land that was out there. Uh, 
And uh, it, it, I, I don't know if it portrays a completely accurate view of it, but it was pretty cool to see. And being in in uh, in Fort Worth, knowing that you know this was this was back in the day the the step off into the to the Wild West as they call it was uh, was pretty cool. I have to say the the area there called the stockyards, which uh, were all the livestock, the cattle, and everything, uh, pigs, all this kind of stuff were processed. I guess sold, shipped out, whatever. It was it, it was um, it was told to me and advertised to us that. You'll get a real sense of the Old West here, and you got to come out and see it. And just so you know, not so much. Um, they did have cattle that marched through the middle of the town every day, uh, 11 o'clock and then at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Longhorns, big old longhorn, man, come on. Um, we didn't get to see that, but what we saw was, I guess it was um, the old uh, stock exchange, and I don't mean stocks like stocks and bonds, but the stock, stock livestock exchange. And there were, you know, there were some colorful uh, things to see. There were some people that had some some bighorn uh, uh, steer, I guess they were, and you could sit on them, you know, and take your picture with it. Yeah, they had horses. They had horses running around, little uh, trolley things for the kids. Basically, what I'm saying is that while it may have a great historical uh, place in our in our country, it was very touristy. You know, it was like um, cowboy wannabe. And we were looking for something really authentic. We really wanted to see, I guess, a ranch or something. Not that we had that much time to go find it. It wasn't a bad place. It was just touristy. It's like it's like any one of those things that you would go to and you think you're going to see, I guess, you know, the Old West. And you actually got there. And the stores were made up, I guess, like maybe like the Old West. There was um, streets where you did all kinds of shopping. You know, they were selling you hats. They were selling you boots, selling you cowhide, things, kinds of things. But what was neat about it, which which I really did like, what I liked all about Texas, and we kept joking, saying, you can smell the freedom in the air. You know, you can taste it where you go. There's freedom in Texas that we don't really enjoy in the Northeast. And I think that to, to some extent, uh, it probably was true. First of all, there's people walking around with guns. We could see that, uh, which you don't see in the Northeast. There were There was people selling uh, beers, and cocktails out of all the different restaurants and on the street. So you could buy a beer or a cocktail and, and walk around and enjoy it. You go shopping with your cocktail. Not that that's such a big deal, but it just seemed like uh, much more relaxed. The speed limit on the highways was 70 miles an hour. And you didn't see, you know, troopers and cops every three feet trying to pull people over and hunk them out a million tickets, you know, to make up revenue for the municipalities. You, you were kind of, uh, you were kind of left alone is what it felt like. Uh, it was really, it was really kind of refreshing. Um, what else did we, we we do there? Well, we spent a little time in Fort Worth. We had a nice meal. You know, we sat at a nice bar. It looked like an old Western bar, and uh, we had a nice meal and a couple cocktails. And then we headed out. We went back to Dallas. Um, and again, there's different sections. So, one of the sections that I really wanted to go see um, was uh, Dealey Plaza and the Texas Book Depository Building, and the place where President Kennedy was assassinated. Now, my whole life, I've, um, I've heard about it. Uh, when I was a kid, we studied it in school. Believe it or not, we actually studied his- history and historical documents, and we learned how to do math and science and stuff in school. We didn't, we didn't uh, do all this social uh, stuff that people are teaching in school now. 
But I had this book. Uh, I get this. I got this book um, on the Kennedy assassination, and in it were real pictures of the real players and. Uh, some action shots off the news uh, when Lee Harvey Oswald got shot. You know that famous picture of him grimacing as uh, as Jack Ruby shot him amidst all the police officers. Then they also had, uh, as gory as it may seem, they had autopsy photos of Lee Harvey Oswald, and you could see the big bruised area where uh, you know the the contact shot from the, I guess the snub nose revolver that Ruby used to shoot him. Um, but I found it intriguing. Now, over the years, you hear all these conspiracy theories, right, about uh, Kennedy was really killed from the grassy knoll. It wasn't the book depository. No one could ever make that shot, uh, you know. And when you see the specials or the TV shows that they've done on it over the years, it does look like, uh, like an unbelievable shot, you know, from that window. How far away was President Kennedy that somebody could, you know, hit him uh, a couple of times uh, in that short succession of, of, of time? But then when you get there, I, at least I did as an investigator, which uh, I spent my whole life as an investigator, my adult life, I realized that the area where all this took place is much, much smaller than it looks in the videos and much smaller than it looks in all these TV specials that we've seen. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind is that you see the Texas Book Depository and it looms above Dealey Plaza and the sixth floor, and, and the window where uh, Oswald uh, fired from, there's, a, uh, there's a, a marker in the window so the people standing below can see. You know, they have the whole area marked out because of this event. Um, they have placards everywhere, and you can see you know, his, the historical nature of what this place is. Well, they have uh, in the street, marked in the street below um, the book depository, they have a giant X painted on the ground, uh, two X's actually, right next to each other, and then about, I don't know, 20 yards, 30, 25 yards further up the road, another X, so three X's all together. And the purpose of the X's is to show you where the two shots hit, hit Kennedy and his party first, and then the third shot, you know, that's the one we've all seen, uh, where as disgusting as, as it is to describe is where Kennedy's head basically exploded from the shot, and we saw um, Jacqueline Kennedy climb on the back of the limousine, and she was actually retrieving a piece of, uh, of Kennedy's skull that had been blown out. And I had seen that a thousand times, but actually being there in the plaza, the building looks exactly like it does in all the pictures. I mean, it, it's a, it's, I don't know if it's a unique uh, structure, but it, it's burned into all of our memories, I think. You know, anybody who's seen this, the videos or, or talked about it or, or read books on it, that building is is very iconic and that you recognize it immediately. You know, we got out of the Uber and uh, I look up and I'm like, oh, well, there's, uh, you know, there's the, the book depository. Interesting uh, flavor of that. There's a big plaque on the wall right there. And it's, you know, one of those metal plaques that they put on buildings to tell you, you know, maybe historical information or whatever about the location. And it's, uh, it's telling you all about the assassination and what happened here. And at the bottom, as they're describing, it says, and this is the area where Kennedy allegedly was assassinated by um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. And the word allegedly, somebody over the years, multiple people have done this, have taken some kind of a sharp object and circled the world, uh, squared around the world, uh, the word allegedly and scratched it in so that the word stands out, you know, allegedly. 
um, there are some people that hang around Dealey Plaza and they set up little uh, sandwich boards and they have their conspiracy books and they want to tell you that, you know, uh, the shots came from the grassy knoll, the mafia did it, uh, you know, the aliens did it, the Russians did it, you know, who, who, who uh, shot the president. And it was, it was an interesting thing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the history buff guy when I go somewhere. I like to, uh, I like to feel history. And that's why I think we wanted to go to Fort Worth. We wanted to actually see, you know, real old fashioned West. We want to see that. And, and that was a little disappointing. Uh, the area wasn't so bad. You know, it, it's worth an afternoon to go to the stockyards. But anyway, going back to Dealey Plaza, when I was there, uh, one of the things, of course, I wanted to see is the grassy knoll. You know, we've all heard about the grassy knoll, and here's where the shots came from. And again, that is relatively close in proximity to the to the bookstore. It's 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 not that far away. The the book depository. And when you see the shots marked on the on the roadway, and you you stand there, and I did, and you look up and you look in the both directions, it's kind of in the middle. Uh, of the grassy knoll and the book depository where um, where the shots were fired. So, of course, I, I had to walk up on the grassy knoll. Now, when you hear about that, you would think that there would have been, I don't know, I, I, I would have thought such a historical area would have been uh, different. I, I can't even describe how I thought it would be, but it's really just basically a low-rise little hill that comes off the highway and goes up to a fence. And there's a little plaque at the bottom that says, this is the grassy knoll, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's where the conspiracy guy sits trying to sell his books and, and pamphlets and all that. But I walked up onto that grassy knoll. And I, I was the only one there. Again, I thought it would be mobbed with people, you know. Uh, even though there was a lot of people around, there was nobody on the grassy knoll but me. And what I do is I have a tendency to touch the art. Uh, I... I, I I don't know what it is. It's I guess it's a weird part of my personality. Like uh, we were in the Boston Museum and there was a Van Gogh there. Now there was no rope line around it. It was a Van Gogh. It wasn't behind glass. It was just sitting there. And I, I respect the art. You know, I'm not a jerk. I'm not going to pick at the art. But I could actually see the brush strokes um, in the paint. And I just, I ran my finger along the brush strokes. And, and did I did I feel connected to Van Gogh and somehow, yeah, that's kind of what it felt like, you know, that's, that's one of those, I feel history when I'm around historical things, that's how I feel. Well, I hear, hear behind me this uh, very big burly uh, security guard, sir, you're not to touch the art, and I, you know, sorry about that, I didn't mean to do it, of course, Mrs. Kathy is sitting there going, I told you not to touch the art, so those kind of things, when I'm around uh, historical <coughs> things, oh, there's Arthur, the our rescue boy, I guess he wants to tell me that the killer mailman might be coming by. Um, so one of the things that we have there is the uh, is to see this art, is to feel it, is to feel history. So being, uh, you know, here in the in Dealey Plaza, and to be standing all alone on the grassy knoll, you know, this place we've all heard about. But then here you go, you I, I go to this town, and and here I am, I'm there, I'm on the grassy knoll. And you can look from the, you know, from anywhere. And it's a small area. I'm going to say uh, maybe it's 15 yards to the top of the hill. And then it runs maybe 40 yards across. And it ends against the, like the highway overpass kind of a thing up there. So it's not a giant area either. And then there's a, a picket fence, a stockade fence, six foot stockade fence at the back end at the top of the hill. 
And I just stood there and I looked from different angles at the X's out in the road. Then I looked up at the, uh, at the bookstore. Now, back in the day, uh, there was a tree there in front of the bookstore, the book depository. But now those trees are really big. Um, you know, they've obviously grown in and they've probably been replaced a few times. But there's big, giant trees there. But you could see the windows of the sixth floor. And I stood there and, and I think you know, on social media, I made a post and I said something to, along the effect that to, to stand on, on a piece of ground that other than the events of history would be insignificant was a humbling feeling. Because again, just like touching the brush strokes of the painting, to stand on the actual ground where, where people stood and watched a president of the United States be assassinated and a president that was a game changer at the time for our country at, at, at a unique moment in our history. You know, had Kennedy survived, how would, how would the country have gone? What would have happened? Would it have been different? Uh, would, the, would the late 60s have been different? Would they, would they have then just been the same? You know, the whole flow of history really passes through those X's on the roadway. And the fact that the conspiracy people say that, you know, the shooter was actually up here on the grassy knoll uh, behind the fence. Uh, and that's what, the, you know, because it's impossible for anybody to make those three shots. And I'm telling you, when you stand there and you see how small this area really is uh, on videos and everything, it makes it look like this must have been an unbelievable Herculean gunshot. Somebody couldn't do that. And, and I don't know. Um it looked to me like a pretty reasonable shot, even with someone who had to, you know, uh, work the bolt on the rifle because he didn't have a semi-automatic rifle. He had a, a, a bolt rifle, bolt action he had to do. And I have seen specials where they had firearms people actually up in the window and they fired down on the plaza. And there were people that could make those three shots in that whatever, you know, two seconds of time or three seconds of time, whatever it was. So I, I think it, it really, seeing that, special that time that people could make that shot in that time if they had the skill and apparently oswald was a rifleman he was a marine you know um to see that and then to see the the distance is not that far in in real life it starts to bring the history of that moment together and to stand on that piece of ground to walk uh in that area to touch the building. I stood on the X's, you know, I, I, I took video from the X's in the road and I looked up at the window. And then I looked the other way to the underpass, you know, cause that's what you always see in the video. There's that, that traffic sign, you know, that street sign that's there. Um, and as Kennedy passes it on the Zupruder film, on the other side is when the, the final shot comes and then they, you know, they speed away underneath the overpass. And what people don't really understand, because even when I, the conspiracy guy, I don't like to argue with conspiracy guys. I'm not a conspiracy guy. Um, I'm an Occam's razor kind of guy. You, you know, in most instances, the simplest explanation is usually the right one. And in this case, you had a, a, uh, a person who had a, uh, either a mental problem or just a hatred uh, or a desire to commit this terrible act and to assassinate a president. He found the circumstances uh were, were, were good for him to do what he had to do. He just had to get the rifle to the window and he knew where the president would be passing by and he took the shots and he was effective at, at what he was doing. Um, I think that's the, the simplest explanation. There's all kinds of other things, connections. He went to Russia and he maybe, maybe that's where he was propagandized. Maybe that's where he was radicalized and decided to come home and attack the president. 
but whatever it was, um, he did it, and it was right there at that spot. And if you get a chance to go there, is what I'm saying, you're actually standing in history. Now, I can equate that to um, after the 9-11 attacks. Uh, I was a law enforcement officer. I was active duty at the time. Uh, by December of, uh, of 2001, um, all the police departments in New Jersey, I think I've told you all of this, were, were working down at the pit for, at Ground Zero. And I was there, and I, I standing in the bottom of the pit as the mud and the water oozed over my shoes, I realized when I looked up and I saw the machine and the lights and the wreckage of the buildings and the smells that were there, I realized I was standing in the middle of history. You know, uh, it's an experience that a lot of people who did it, who worked down there, had that feeling that you knew this was this was a major event in American history, and here you are right in the middle of it. Well, that's kind of the feeling that I got being in Dealey Plaza, but it was more as opposed to, you know, the real thing like 9-11. It was still happening when I was there, working there. This was more like an echo of history. You know, I could feel it in the background uh, as I stood on the grassy knoll as I walked uh, on the X's in the middle of the road and I looked up and I looked back and, and I went over to the, to the book depository building and I touched the doors and then we walked around the side, uh, Kathy and I walked around the side of the building and I said, you know, this is where Oswald walked past how many thousands of times and you could feel that echo of history and I think that's what it is. Um, I think that's the right way to describe it. And, and not everybody feels that. Not everybody thinks about things like that. And they say, you know, you're strange, man. I, I don't know. Um, to be at the real place is, uh, I, I find that to be absolutely amazing. I got to say the same thing happened when we visited uh, Ireland and Scotland. You know, they got all these old castles over there. And, you know, you realize these things go back, you know, thousands of years, hundreds of years. And, People in the 1200s, you know, worshipped at these churches that you go in and, and you see the, the, what's left of these castles. You go through all these rooms and you realize people lived here. They ate their food here. They raised their children here. Uh, all the kind of things that happened uh, are just really unique in history. And it connects us to, to all of our history as human beings. Uh, and that's one of the things I really love about history. So I just wanted to, to talk about that a little bit because... When we look at uh, at these kind of incidents, you know, where around you, where, what areas are around you that are have any kind of signor, uh, significant historical significance? Go to them, you know, go learn about your history. Take your kids, your grandchildren to these places and tell them what happened uh, at whatever place it is, no matter what it is, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. If it's if it's an actual historical place, it's an amazing thing to be at. So I, I was really happy uh, to be there. All right. I'm going to change gears here a little bit. Thank you for letting me walk my way through there. Um, but besides Dealey Plaza, we went to Gillies. You know, Gillies, where they had they filmed the movie, I guess, uh, Urban Cowboy back in the day. Um, interesting to be there. Gigantic facility. Gigantic facility. I can't tell you how big. I never, you know, they talk like it's a bar. Well, it's a bar with a, with an outside where you can herd cattle. It's It has so many different areas. Uh, that people can hang out in. Um, it was it was really something. Um, the IACP, the Chiefs Association, I guess they rented the place for the night, and you had to have a ticket to go in. And you know, ten, tons of food, tons of tons of uh, barbecue. They had a guy rolling cigars right there. If you like a cigar, which I, I enjoy an occasional cigar, uh, they had that. Then they had a place in the back. They had a concert, 
and it was uh, er- who was his name? Eric, Eric Church was the guy, and uh, apparently big, big superstar in country music these days. I had heard his name, um, and I had heard one or two of his hits, but you know, I'm a more of a rock and roll, Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin kind of guy. But uh, the, the new wave of, of country music is really powerful. You know, some of these guys are, are, are excellent. Keith Urban and these people. Uh, I remember Garth. I think Garth Brooks was one of the first guys to really punch through the, uh, well, I got my pickup truck and I got my car, and then move it into a more um, more mainstream uh, country music. And then, of course, there's the legendary Leonard Skinner, you know, country rock guys. But I do enjoy... Um, Johnny Cash, I think he was excellent. But anyway, to be there, and now they was oh, Eric Church, Eric Church. And there had to be 5,000 people, uh, uh, you know, all the Chiefs Association. Everybody that was there was was there to see the concert. And everybody was lined up, and everybody we, everybody had their cocktails and cigars, and we were waiting. And the guy came out, and he was, uh, he was really uh, an entertaining fella. He didn't come with his whole band. He came with himself, and he had uh, electric guitar and two acoustic guitars, and he sat on a stool. And he told some stories, and uh, very interesting. On one of his guitars on the neck, you know, sometimes artists will put their name or their slogan or whatever. On his said Chief, C-H-I-E-F, Chief. And as they tell the story, apparently his uh, great-grandfather was a, uh, a, police, a police chief somewhere in uh, North Carolina. And growing up, he had heard all the stories about law enforcement, and he had great respect for law enforcement, this guy. Uh, that's why he was doing the Chiefs event. He was pretty good. Um, but that's why it said Chief. His nickname was Chief uh, as a kid. Pretty pretty interesting. So if you ever get a chance to see Eric Church, he was really a a fun guy. His voice is beautiful. I mean, he's got a great voice. Uh, he did a medley to start the the show. He did, uh, you know, all popular cover tunes of, you know, uh, of other people. He did some Billy Joel he did some uh, Neil Sedaka. He did you know, a whole bunch of stuff, all different ages and, and, and times. Uh, a couple of minutes of each of each song was his opening, and you could see his range was really good. So he was really good. It was so it was a lot of fun. You know, Dallas. Uh, we did have a good time. We went to a place in what's it called? Um, Terry Black's Barbecue. Okay, so everybody kept telling us you got to go to Terry Black's. Got to go to Terry Black's. And there's another place, the Pecan Lodge. They said if you want barbecue in Dallas, uh, that's where you go. Right, so uh, so Kathleen and I are rolling around, and uh, so well, you know, what do we want to eat? Let's go to Terry Black's and see what this is all about. Well, interesting. You buy the food first. You get in line. You order your food. They got brisket. They got uh, pork ribs, beef ribs, all kinds of stuff. You order it. Uh, you pay for it, and then you go sit down wherever you want. Well, we order. I ordered a, a piece, one slice of brisket, and uh, a piece of a, a beef rib, which looked big but didn't look that gigantic portions and just melt in your melt in your mouth awesome barbecue so if you ever want to have some really good barbecue uh, and you're down there in dallas uh, i suggest it as a place because we couldn't even finish it they, they were so gigantic these portions and absolutely delicious uh, so we were glad we went there so that's our trip to dallas when we get back we'll take a whirlwind around our politics we'll talk a little about some elections and some other things that are going on. This is Lieutenant Joe. We'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. 
with over a quarter million units sold in Japan. It's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter the body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. That's X-L-E-A-R.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Chasing Justice. So listen, uh, you know, earlier when we were talking, we were doing our, our discussion there about uh, history in Dallas and all that kind of stuff. You heard my, my, uh, my dog barking in the background. Now, normally I don't, I don't like to have that on my show, but Arthur is a special boy. He's, um, he's a, he's a, a rescue and we've had him now for a while, and he's really, he is a good boy, so I don't mind him being down here uh, in my studio sitting with me, uh, because he is, a, he is a good friend, and he's a good boy, and if you get a chance to rescue a dog or a cat, I suggest you do it, because those are beautiful animals out there, and you know, they, they need a home too, and you could find some beautiful, we did it for a long time, uh, Kathleen and I. We were thinking about getting Ted one. Hey, Ted, Ted, uh, my father-in-law, Ted, listens religiously to all the programs, uh, on America Out Loud. He, uh, he likes all of them, but he especially likes Chasing Justice, and I know he's out there listening. And he likes Arthur, too. You know, when he comes over, Arthur likes to you know, come over and, and see Pop Ted. So some of the things that uh, I've been looking at with these elections, why they are so important to all of us. You know, it, we, we have a chance uh, once uh, every couple of years to make a, make a choice, to choose our path forward. What is it we're going to do? We're going to be uh, in charge of our own destiny. We don't always realize how powerful the vote is. Now, I guess the, the caveat we have to stick in here is that a lot of us uh, are very suspect over the elections because there, there seems to be a lot of shenanigans that go on with elections. You know, I, I got to tell you, I, I'm not one, I'm not going to jump on this bandwagon and say, you know, the election was stolen in 2020. I don't know. It's It seemed like there was a ton of evidence that things were wrong. And let's be crystal clear. States did violate their own constitutions and change voting laws at the last minute. 
Uh, states did do that. Cities did that. Uh, well, the courts, the courts turned Trump down and said it never happened. No, that's not what the courts said. The courts decided not to take the cases, so the evidence of all this stuff was never heard. See, and that's where people try to, you're a conspiracy nut. You're one of these people. You're an election denier. No, I'm not an election denier. I'm not a conspiracy nut. I simply say, where there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. And what do you do when there's fire? You go take a look and you try and figure it out, right? Wouldn't that be the right thing to do? Well, we never did that. So therefore, a lot of people in this country, a lot of people believe that there was something wrong with the elections. Now, uh, who is it? Um, Abrams down in uh, down in uh, in Georgia, when she lost her election uh, to Kemp, she said the election was stolen. It wasn't real. I'm really the elected governor. She never conceded. She never conceded. And now she's running again, and she says, oh, "Of course, I conceded the election, but I still won. Uh, he won, but uh, he suppressed the vote." Well, we have these arguments going on all over our country, and the the answer seems pretty simple to me. It seems pretty simple. If I, like my travel to Dallas, right? When I got there to the airport, I had to show my ID several times, don't you? When you go to check in your bag, you got to show them your ID so they know you're the guy or the girl dropping off the bag. When you get to the TSA checkpoint, you don't just say, hey, listen, uh, I don't think I should have to carry an ID because you're suppressing my right to travel. No, you have to show your ID and it better be a good ID. And they sign off on it, right? So that's several times, two times right there at the airport to travel, I have to show my ID, right? When I, when I go to, uh, to purchase uh, some adult beverages, now, granted, I'm admittedly way past the age uh, to be legal to purchase it, but I'm a handsome fellow, so therefore sometimes I get asked for my ID. Some places have a policy that they ask everyone for ID before you make a purchase, you know, especially when you got a younger clerk to stand there. Can I see your ID, please? And I go, really? Are you kidding? Okay. I got shoes older than you, but okay. Here's my ID. When you go to pick up a package, you have to show an ID. When you go to go into courthouse as a law enforcement officer, I got to show my ID so they know who I am going into the courthouse. So the idea that some people push is that, uh, you know, by, by asking for a valid ID to vote is to suppress someone's vote. Well, Look at the other side of that. Are you trying to tell me that some of the people that you say you're trying to protect uh, don't have ID in this modern world? They can't get it. They can't get to the... That is that is limiting uh, expectations of people so inappropriately. I find that to be disgusting. Now, it's, it's our minority vote that people say they're trying to protect. By asking for uh, members of minority groups in our country to produce ID, they can't do it. They can't do it, and it's not right that they should have to do it. Um, I think that is absolutely ridiculous. In our modern country, people, all people in our country, can get ID. It, it's really very, very simple. Um, so what you're trying to say then is that it, by asking someone to have an ID so that they can vote, I guess all of those voters can't get on an airplane? They, they can't fly. They're not capable of flying because they don't have ID. Are you kidding me? Do you see how, how that is such a negative thing to throw on any group of people? To say that, you know, they, they can't get it. They don't know how to get it. They have no way to get to the office to get it. They can't get a driver's license. They can't get an ID card. Uh, so I guess they don't fly. They're not allowed to fly. How come we don't turn around and say, hey, wait a minute. All of these people that don't have ID, they're not allowed to fly. How is that right? How is that fair? Right? 
so it's re, it's it's a it's a fake argument. Why? Well, let's be investigators together here, shall we? It's a fake argument because if you say um, you have to have an ID to fly on an airplane, well, that's for everybody's safety, right? So that's why we do it. They don't they don't turn people away, right? Oh yes, they do. If you don't have an ID, you don't get to go through that gate. So isn't that uh, restrictive on people? Uh, and if we're saying that our minority communities can't get ID, so then you're saying restricting our minority communities from flying on airplanes. Isn't that something we should attack as a country? That is totally not right. That's unfair. That's ridiculous. Uh, everyone in this country is, a, is an American citizen. That is an American citizen. Is entitled to the exact same rights and treatment. Right? So you're, if you're saying that our minority communities, uh, they're incapable or they can't get an ID, then they also can't fly. So where's the big campaign to make sure that they can fly? What do we do there? That's why it's a misnomer. It's an argument because the idea is, let's go back and look, what is the attend, intended uh, action there? Well, the intended action is to be able to have people who maybe vote twice, people who are not allowed to vote. They can vote because you can't ask them for ID. So you, they just go up and they get to vote, and therefore you can vote the numbers. And who is it that expects to get these uh, votes of people who are voting two and three times? Well, historically, our friends on the left are the ones who cheat in elections. Now, I'm not saying people on the right don't cheat. I'm sure they absolutely do. Uh, and, but anybody who cheats when it comes to an election should be arrested and prosecuted. This is a, this is a vital part of our lives as American citizens to vote and have confidence in our elections. And that is the problem. To all of you sitting in your basement in your underwear taking, uh, taking notes on what Lieutenant Joe says all the time, this is the purpose of my conversation, right? Is not to do a conspiracy theory, but to say our, right, our voting rights are extremely important to our country and having confidence in our elections should be the ultimate concern. And the way we do that is we make sure that only people who are allowed to vote get to vote. Because we know each year we see people arrested for voting multiple times. We see people arrested for, uh, for being illegal and, and voting. And that damages our, oh, Lieutenant Joe, it's only a few votes here and there. A few. Well, how do you know? How do we know how many few votes it is? Is it a few or is it a lot? And that's why people were upset with 2020. Not because it was, it was some crazy thing, but when you had states changing their constitutional uh, order over how voting takes place because it made it more convenient for people to vote. Well, you're not supposed to do that. That, 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 make, that makes it look like it gives the appearance of corruption. So when you have a, an envelope for a, a, a mail-in ballot and the law, the rules of your state say... Your full name and absolute address has to be on the front of the envelope. You have to check off the right boxes. You have to provide this, that, and the other information. And then you get thousands and thousands and thousands of ballots that show up without the right information on them. And inside, the persons who have sent these thousands of mail-in ballots only voted for Joe Biden. They didn't vote for any down candidates. They didn't vote for senators. They didn't vote for, vote for dog catcher. They only were votes for Joe Biden. Now, they may all be legitimate. I give you that. Each and every one of them, those thousands and thousands of dopes out there who couldn't read the envelope, that didn't put their name on it, and decided to only vote for the president and nothing else on that uh, sheet, that's a good possibility. Absolutely. But you know what? We don't know for sure. 
because they violated rules, regulations, and nobody investigated it. And that's what leaves people. Do you think if it went the other way, do you think if in that election, we ended up getting a million votes sent in across the country in all of these different states um, that are more uh, Democrat-run states where you would expect a Democrat candidate to win, if all of a sudden a million votes came in for Donald Trump, only voting for Donald Trump with no names on the envelope and uh, all the rules violated, do you think everybody would be happy with that? You say, well, I guess I guess that's what happened. That many people voted for Trump. What can I tell you? Do you really think that's what people would have said? Or do you think they would have lost their minds over the entire situation? Yes, I think they would have lost their minds over the entire situation. So that is why. That is why my friends in the basement... That's why people are concerned about the, uh, the elections, not because they're conspiracy theorists or because they think this, that, and the other thing, because it does not appear that the elections are fair. Even now, the Supreme Court, uh, uh, I think either our Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, or the Pennsylvania Supreme Court came out and said that Pennsylvania cannot accept ballots that are not completely filled out. And what did the people in charge of the election there say in Pennsylvania? Highly contested place where the Democrats might lose a seat in the Senate. The person running the election there comes out and says, well, we're going we're gonna to accept these ballots anyway. Even though the court came out and told them, no, you will not accept them. They said, yeah, we're going to accept them. We're going to accept them. Do you think that adds to credibility of that election or does that take away credibility from that election? <clears throat> the answer is very clear. It takes away credibility from that election. If they were to say, well, listen, we have to follow the rule of the court and we have to do this correctly and make sure that every ballot is legitimate. So therefore, make sure you read the instructions, you dopes, and you fill out the envelope the way you're supposed to so that your vote will count. And then your vote will count. Nobody's suppressing your vote. Nobody's trying to keep it away. But if you're too stupid to fill out the ballot the right way, then you made a mistake. And therefore, your, va your ballot is not valid. Right? Nobody's suppressing you. You just didn't do it right. So it put, look at it this way. If you go into the booth, the voting booth, and you went in there, and you have to push the button, and then pull the handle for the vote to count, and you push the button and walk away, well, whose fault is that? Did somebody suppress your vote? Or were you too stupid to, to go do the process? And I apologize. I don't mean to keep using the word stupid, but I get very frustrated with this. These things are all very, very simple. It's very simple. You set up a rule that says you have to be registered to vote so that we know you're a citizen. When you show up, you show ID that matches the registration. Therefore, your vote is legitimate. No matter who you are, no matter what color you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what language you speak, if you're a registered voter and you're uh, on the rolls, and there you are with your ID, and you match, you get to go vote. That adds confidence to an election. Now, the other thing that we see, lots of states are refusing to purge their voter rolls of dead people, people who moved out of state. You know, there's lots of options, uh, uh, incidents of people voting in New Jersey, and they have a house in Florida, and they go there and vote in Florida too. Um, that's inappropriate, but they do it. And dead people, you know, the people joke about that. Dead people vote. Well, they found in every election, dead people vote because people use their names and they commit fraud. Now, Lieutenant, it's not on that, uh, it's not on that big a scale to change things. Not because how the hell do you know how big of a scale it is if we never check it out? That is the question. Does that add credibility to the election or take away credibility to the election? It takes away credibility. And that is why people are concerned and nervous. Now, there's anecdotal 
evidence that you can look at. And I, I agree, it's anecdotal. It's, it's what it looks like. So in, in 2020, Miss Kathy and I, we went to a Trump rally and, uh, in, uh, where was it, in Pennsylvania? trying to think of, in Harrisburg. We went to a Trump rally in Harrisburg. There had to be 20,000 people there dressed in red, white, and blue, waving American flags, being nice to each other. It was, it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Um, and we were there and there was the president of the United States, you know, so it doesn't matter who the president was. When you see a president, it's, that's pretty impressive, right? And there's the president talking to everybody and everybody was excited. Then you see a Joe Biden rally in Harrisburg. And there were nine people standing in circles. And that was it. And then you say, oh, well, look at this. Everywhere Trump went, 15, 18, 20, 25,000 people screaming and cheering. And Joe Biden would show up and people would drive by and honk their horn. Or they turn your headlights on for Biden. Or uh, we can stand in these circles because of COVID and six people would show up. Meantime, 17,000 are showing up, uh, rubbing shoulders at Trump events. The anecdotal evidence appeared crystal clear that Trump was going to run away with it. And then the election comes out and it, nope, Biden won. Biden won here, Biden won there, Biden won here, Biden won there. And maybe he did. He is the president. He is my president, whether I like his policies or not. He is my president. I'm not, uh, you know, saying he's not my president. He is. It just anecdotally, it didn't seem to make sense with how the votes came out. So this is why people don't have, um, they don't have trust in the elections because they're concerned. This didn't look right. It didn't feel right. I don't know. And nobody wants to make it right. Now, we've had uh, we've had two years so far that we could have changed all our rules and we could have made the elections better, but we didn't. Why didn't we? Why are we going to wait until the eve of the next presidential election, no matter how these midterms come out, when it's going to be whoever the Democrat candidate is, if it's Joe Biden or, or somebody else, versus whoever is Trump or whoever else, and it's still going to be the same mess, a hodgepodge. You're going to have, still have um, legislators uh, overrunning their, their constitutions to change the voting process. So this can be that. Why don't we just go fix that? Why isn't that a priority? Because it opens us up to corruption. And, you know, it's in the favor of uh, certain political parties for there to be corruption and confusion and changing rules at the last minute. And then the courts... The fact that our courts would not look at these things and decide these things. You know, let's have a court really look at it and make a decision and say, you know what? We looked at all this evidence and everybody made their case and we find no, there was not any uh, purposeful corruption in this election. Okay, then you'd have a feeling that, hey, at least it was looked at, the evidence was looked at and it is what it is. And okay, I didn't think he was going to lose, but I guess he really did. Would that add credibility to an election or take it away? That would add credibility. So here how simple it is. Uh, I just laid out a whole bunch of points of things we could do immediately to fix our election concerns. And why don't we? Why is there no uh, push to fix these? Why do we keep saying that our minority communities are incapable of getting an ID, but we don't care that they can't fly on a plane because they don't have ID? How is that right? How is that the proper way to treat any American citizen? Right? It's not. But we don't have that conversation. Why? Because that would point out the, uh, the, the idiocy of the point. So instead, we just keep hammering away at it as though it's real. So let's look at Georgia. Now, Georgia changed its election laws. Georgia's election rules were actually less strict for people than Delaware, where Joe Biden is from. 
How come not one reporter went out and did a comparison on these horrible draconian Jim Crow laws that they're putting in Georgia for voting to suppress people? And then look at and say, well, let's compare Joe Biden's home state. Well, they're much more restrictive there, and there's no doesn't seem to be any controversy. Why? Because Georgia was in play. It could be power for one group over another, so therefore, uh, let the games begin. Does that add credibility or take it away? See my question? Every time some of these things come up, that's what you have to ask yourself. Is what they're doing and saying for the election adding credibility or taking it away? And imagine... If you're on the side that's winning because of corruption, imagine if it went the other way. How would you feel about it? Would you be perfectly okay with, hey, they got away with it. Hey, their legislature changed the law at the last minute. Hey, their judges overlooked the law and the Constitution, but that's okay. Everybody got to vote, even people who shouldn't. Would you be okay with that? Right? Do you see when you put on the shoe on the other foot and it doesn't fit so quite, quite right, that's when you can say, mm, maybe there's something wrong here. And that's my point. So when we look at Georgia, we have uh, Abrams uh, down there running again. She's running against Kemp. And, uh, you know, she's, oh, I never said the election uh, was, was fraudulent. I said, they simply said that I won and there was voter suppression. Well, they had these new laws in Georgia. And as it turns out, the last time, the last election cycle, there was unprecedented number of Georgians that got to vote. In our, in our minority community and in the majority communities. They all got to vote in unprecedented numbers. And this time around, they've already started early voting. And it's unbelievable the turnout that they're getting. So all it is nonsense about by putting in some rules to make the, the election more credible is actually trying to hurt our minority communities. We don't want them to vote. You're suppressing. That's all BS. None of that is true. Uh, in the light of day, it turns out more people, including our minority communities, are voting in even greater numbers than ever before. So that entire narrative reveals itself to be just BS. And why would you have to BS about a thing? Because you want to keep the advantage in confusion and in lack of credibility so you can manipulate. That's why people are not satisfied with our elections. Do you get it? Connect the dots. Okay. So I wanted to cover that. It looks like uh, in Pennsylvania, where this uh, Lieutenant Governor Federer um, had a, a 12 or 13 point lead over Dr. Oz, uh, that has now come down to an even heat race, as we're starting to see that, you know, Mr. Federer, I think uh, as a human being, we should all um, feel sorry for him for what happened to him. He had a stroke. He had a very bad medical condition. He's not in good physical shape. And that's terrible no matter who it is. It doesn't matter the politics of it. The poor man is not in good shape. And he has lots of cognitive dis uh, difficulties. And it's it's very clear. And the, the polls have now evened out uh, to where it seems to be a 50-50 race could go either way. I just don't understand how... People can, can well, well, you know, actually, let, let, me, let me take that back. I was going to say, I don't know how people can look and see a guy who obviously has all these problems um, and still vote for him. And my, my, my pullback on that is that you say to yourself, okay, if you really believe in your policies, if you really believe in socialism, if you really believe in progressivism, if you really believe in all that, you would vote for the guy even if he was lying on his deathbed because you don't want that power to go to the other side. You want to keep your policies. 
right? That's And that's the thinking where people, how can people look at this guy? He's falling apart. He can't think. He can't talk. Because he's a vote on the Democrat side. And they want to keep the power because they believe in those kind of policies. That's why they would vote for him. You know, you would hope that... Um, that if you were open-minded about it, if you looked at it, you say, here's a guy that probably really can't do the job because of his medical conditions. You know, it, it is what it is. You wouldn't vote for a guy who's laying in a coma, right? Because you know he can't do the job. So this guy obviously has lots of problems. Um, you're probably better off with a senator that can do the right thing. But that senator isn't going to vote for the things that you believe in. So I understand why people, you know, uh, stick with their party. My My misunderstanding of, of those people is simply that how can they believe that the things they believe in are going to help the country, like uh, maintaining these policies we currently have of no energy coming from America or very limited from America. You see what that's done to the price of gasoline. That hurts real people. You know, I, we've talked about this before. You got somebody making uh, $40,000, $50,000, $60,000 and they have to spend uh, $100 a week in gasoline to get to work. Now they got to spend 200 a week? That chews up their budget. They do not have money to live when, when the, it, it's that tight. So that's one thing. Why don't we have our own energy? Because we're going to go green. We're going to be... So instead, we get energy, oil, fossil fuels that we hate here in America. We don't want to do away with them all. But we'll go buy them from countries around the world that, number one, hate us. Number two, want to destroy us. Number three, that don't have the same kind of uh, environmental protections built into the way they uh, do their work as our, country, our country's companies do. Right? That is, I hate to say it, that is stupid. And if you believe that, it going, I said what I say in, in one of the last episodes, going green is not a bad idea when we have the technology to really go green. We don't have it now. All we're doing now is punishing our citizens because we're hanging on to an ideology. Well, we, we can't get it to go over there, so we're going to make them go over there. And so if it costs everybody so much money for 20 years till they finally get to catch up with the technology, that'll be good. That is horrible leadership. What you say is, no, we're going to go back to fracking. We're going to go back to natural gas uh, drilling. We're going to go back to oil. We're going to get our country back on its feet with its energy. If you dropped the price of gasoline and diesel fuel in half, you would see the prices on everything else that uses those things to deliver them and create them come down. You would see price of gasoline go from $4 a gallon to $2 a gallon. A trucker who has to truck across the country and it used to cost him $1,000, now it only costs him $500. Now she can, she can load her truck up with gas and she can move products. That means the cost to the products that have to be shipped goes down. See how this works? It's common sense. There's, it's nothing hard about this. Uh, the other night, Miss um, Kathy and I were, um, were driving home from the airport and I'm listening to um, a, a financial writer. That's what this guy, that's what he says. I'm a financial writer. I'm not a financial analyst. I'm a financial writer. I write about the financial world. And then he went out there and, he, and he's been writing for 20 years, so he's not a beginner. And he's going on and on about, you know, it's kind of strange to see how the uh, labor participation rate is never included in things. I don't know how much that really affects the economy and high gasoline prices. I, I, I don't know if we can really point to that as, as something that would really drive the economy and inflation. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm saying to myself, here is someone who is viewed as, a, as an expert financial writer, but has no historical record. Why don't we just look at the historical record? 
every time we've had a conservative administration that lowered taxes, uh, lowered regulation, uh, let the people have more of their money and got out of their way for business, what has happened to the economy? It has roared. And what happens when it roars? People get jobs, good paying jobs. The standard of living goes up. People can buy houses. They can buy food, go on vacations, take their kids uh, on places, go to do all the things that they want to do in life. And every time we go with progressive left-wing, high-tax, high-regulation policies, what happens? The economy takes a downturn and it put us, puts us in a dumper. How many times has that happened? Every time is the answer. Write that down. Every time it's, it happens, it, it, it's, it's the inevitable result of the policies. So why don't people see that? Why don't they look at that and go, hmm... Every time we have a liberal administration that comes in with all these progressive things, rules and regulations, and a tax on the American people, super high taxes, this and that, our economy goes down. Our standard of living goes down. People suffer. Hmm. And every time we have a conservative administration that lowers taxes, lowers regulations, gets out of people's way, lets people live and keep their money, what happens? The economy grows and booms and everyone does better. Everyone. Trickle down is no good. The rich get everything. B.S. B.S. Rich people do get a lot because they have a lot to start with. Okay, I accept that. But rich people then buy houses. They buy boats. They buy things. And who has to make those things? People at the other end of the socioeconomic ladder now have a job. And if it's really going well, they build a lot of washing machines. They make a lot of money. Right? This is how it works. It's common sense. If you look at it, instead of looking at it at, well, they're just big business. They just want to take care of big business. If you get that stupid thought out of your head and look at what is the result time and time and time again over the course of history here in our country, you will see that it all comes down to policy. The less tax you tax on people, the more money they have to spend. And what will people do when they feel comfortable that they can keep more of their own money? They'll spend it. They'll go buy lawn chairs. And now people who make lawn chairs have a job. They'll go buy coolers to put icy cold beer in. And then people who make coolers have jobs. And the company that makes the coolers makes a profit. And then they can pay their employees more. They can hire more employees. Then you can buy cars and trucks and houses and flashlights and everything else that we make in this country. But every time we tax and regulate, we drive people into the ground. Why would we do that? Why would we put up with that? I don't know, but I'm going to leave you here. Think about it. This is Lieutenant Joe saying, I'll see you next time. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem here on Chasing Justice. <laughs>